So currently, uh, my fancy titles, I'm the applied science and reconditioning coordinator for uh, Cal Berkeley football, so Cal football. Uh, previously, I've been at Ole Miss, Ohio State, Marshall, uh, Cincinnati, Colorado State, and I've played some of my play. Some of course, I've kind of been everywhere. So, right. been been thankful and lucky all in the same 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 sentence. I apologize for my voice if you guys have trouble hearing me. Uh, you know, uh, been you know screaming my face off and fighting a head cold. So, uh, <laughs> to all the cough between all the coughing and yelling, I'm still trying to fight to get my voice back. So, I apologize. What's been the biggest thing that you've learned? Or not the one, right? But like as you've evolved, I mean, you you've continued to just go forward. Your the trajectory of your career has been impressive. What's been the thing that's allowed you to keep doing that? Um, honestly, I I think for me, better or for worse, it's probably I'm honest, at least with myself and professionally, to a fault. So it's see for me, it's uh pretty black and white in terms of how I see things. And so uh, and kind of how I present myself and how I kind of present how I handle things is typically pretty black and white. At least I try to think that way. So for better or for worse, sometimes it works out good. Sometimes it doesn't, but I think that's been, I think that's been my biggest benefit professionally is at least I've been consistent with it. Um, you know, another thing along those lines is, your title has continued to reflect your, your learning. How did you create that niche for yourself? How did you, for any of our listeners that are like, Oh shit, like that is a bomb title. And, you know, Kier talks about the four P's like, so that is important because whatever title and whatever salary you have sets up your next, how did you do it? How can they go about doing something similar? Uh, I think professionally, I think it started out as, you know, I had no clue what I was actually, honestly, any clue about anything I'm doing now. I just wanted to be a strength coach. And it turned into, as you and me have talked before, it turned into me kind of being the low man on the total pole and eating some of kind of the shit jobs and <clears throat> being the injured guy babysitter or being the uh, the intern collects and sh- collects and distributes catapult brawls and gets gets reamed out when somebody didn't Johnny Johnny Short Dick didn't turn it didn't turn in his his Zephyr his Zephyr unit. So uh and then it grew into, you know, I liked it but didn't really know much about it. And then as it kind of oh hey, you've done this before and you kind of fake it till you make it and then you actually realize you like it. And you realize that uh, you know, unless you've played in the NFL, played in the SEC, uh worked for the right person if you're kind of the unassuming average white male, you better have a niche and you better be good at something. So, <laughs> hey, um, uh, and I don't say that as a bad thing, but I mean, no, yeah. there's a, there, 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 but there's, there's just a million of us. So it's, it's, for yes. me, it's been finding it's, it's, uh, there's uh, something that's got to set you apart. And so for me, I've just been thankful that the two kind of areas I've Grown in, I guess, a niche in, or like I've taken a liking to. I, I like to think I'm pretty good at because they kind of fit who I am as a person. Where when I was a player, I've talked with Kier before. When I was a player in college, I was always hurt, so I was always kind of interested and kind of fascinated with the rehab process. But didn't realize that was a whole, there a whole return to play reconditioning spectrum was like a thing because I didn't have that when I played. It was just, hey, you know, you can't use your left leg, so go, go do the five sets of five we have on back squat on the on the leg press with your right leg, and we'll see you later until you get out of your boot. And then you realize, no, actually, when you do this the right way, there's actually a continuum of how to do that. 
And then now me being for better or for worse, a pretty black and white, pretty, pretty, pretty black and white person, the, uh, the numbers, the objective numbers and some of the sciencey nerdy stuff fits in pretty well with me. So it matches. So like for me, the two things I do kind of match what I like, match what I'm interested in, match kind of how I view the world and view people and situations. And it just kind of lines up. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a big yeller, big screamer. I'm not a big bravado, macho, chorismo personality. So in those, in the two roles I'm in are probably anti what a lot of those things are. So I just think for me, it's been something I'm interested in, interested in something I've been pretty good at. And it's just kind of, it's been kind of, you know, peanut butter and jelly is just kind of good fit <laughs> i mean i to to piggyback off what you said i was the shitty athlete i was the smart one that knew how to like do things to to help with my limited physical capability so like that's why when i hear the coactive like that shit makes sense to me but you know being smart and continuing down like that's why i did the phd because like you said there's just what can you do stuff to differentiate yourself um what has helped you become so good with the art and the science in the rehab setting? Like where were some of the aha moments and maybe things that you did well or didn't do well along the way that has helped you um, that were specifics? Like, yeah, I never forget this because it helped us or hurt us this way. And again, you don't need to, we're not, not naming names, but just from 10,000 foot view. Yeah, no. Um, Honestly, I, I think for me, it's the biggest thing of, again, me being sometimes being the neighborhood asshole a little bit to where I'm always <laughs> kind of, and I'm wanting to ask, well, why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? Always kind of questioning or being stubborn or inquisitive and like even like coming up through school or when I was a player or when I was an intern or when I was a younger coach, well, like, why are we doing this? Like, that doesn't make sense. That's stupid. Or, you know, and sometimes, sometimes, sometimes I burn my hand on the stove, but a bigger picture, it's, it's allowed me like the, at least in the reconditioning space to want to try to continually seek answers or seek whys and the how to's and, and almost, you know, for good and bad, almost, uh, over educate myself sometimes, or at least it seemed like I'm doing it. And cause like, for me, like you talked about as a player, uh, I wasn't a great athlete. Uh, I'm by no means like a, a savant, as as you try to allude to early on. Uh, I think for me, it's just my coaching career is a lot like with my playing career, where it's just something I'm extremely interested in. Um, so I'm extremely interested in, I'm extremely committed to, and I put a lot of time and effort into it. And it's, and it's just a patient practice over time. And it's just a lot of burnt hand on the stove situations for me where it's a lot of do's and don'ts and a lot of lessons learned and trying to, well, this didn't go well, this didn't go right. Why did it kind of always self auditing and auditing what I'm doing is something I've always tried to do. And then realized I wasn't doing it previously until I got around some smart people, <clears throat> but now always just trying to look back and, and, and see what I've done and what worked and what didn't work and how are other people doing things and doing being open to new ideas. Um, and, and at least, in my point of view, trying to be good at filtering out the good from the bad and what's useful and unuseful, discard what's what isn't. Uh, I think that's I think honestly that's the biggest thing for me. You mentioned, you know, you're the the self-proclaimed neighborhood asshole, but yet you have to be playing well in the sandbox with other people if you're continuing to progress your career forward. So how were you able to be the straight shooter that you admit to being? And still do it in a way where people still want to hire you and work with you because 
whether you want to admit it or not, that's a skill set, man. Uh, honestly, I don't know if I have a good answer for that one. I think I've been lucky enough to where I've made good relationships with people just trying to be who I am as a person uh, and just kind of being unapologetic with myself and then, you know, just trying to show the things that I do well, whether it be genuine people being genuinely, like genuinely interested in trying to learn and seek out seek out answers from not just books and research, but people and other people are doing things well. And, you know, that's why, like, I'm not a big social butterfly. I'm really not. Uh, but when it comes to the profession and what we do, I really, I really like what we do and I'm really interested and invested in what I do. So therefore I have to, you know, uh, mix around at the, co- at the cocktail hour and kind of, you know, <clears throat> coach talk and everything else with everybody. Cause that's the only way you learn and everything. Well, no, so I think that's part of it is, is my quest to try to learn and answer questions has allowed me to meet and uh, connect with coaches over the years. Uh, and then in terms of maintaining jobs, I, I don't know if it's something I could truly speak on because if you were to look at my resume, it probably doesn't reflect that as I've kind of, for coaches getting coaches above me getting fired or staff changes or making dog crap pay and then trying to move closer back to family or get to the point where I have my own health insurance. So I don't know if <laughs> gaining, gaining, gaining employment's been okay, but retaining employment's been, you know, I, I, I think for me, I, I think you talked about the four P's earlier, which I've, you know, I learned from Kira, Kira also is uh, something that's also for me where it's always, I'm trying to and like consistently, uh, Audit where I'm at versus those things. And I think the one P I'm missing right now is kind of like a longitudinal kind of long distance purpose to where I could finally get somewhere and, you know, feel where I can some form of security and you know, some form of security would kind of build a department or sub department within a department or ecosystem. Um, I probably haven't been lucky enough to do that yet. Some of it's uh, some of a lot of the time I control the sport I work with. Uh, but you know, it's, it's the nature of the beast when, you know, you're dictated by 18 and 22 year olds playing a game and grown, no. grown men, grown men wearing their jerseys and cussing them out through a TV that they don't even know exist. I'll tell you what, there was a, the defensive backs coach that I work with at Iowa, who's now the defensive coordinator at Tennessee Martin. And he's like, if I was to tell you that we all are going to invest our livelihood in 18 to 22 year old males that are surrounded by 18 to 20, 20, you old females with no parental supervision and we have to keep them in line. He's like, you tell them so we're out of our fucking mind. He's like, yeah, we do it every day. So amen to that. Um, well, it's, it's funny. It's funny. You bring, it's funny. You bring that up because you know, like everybody's talks about, well, you can go into Vegas and gambling, but the reality in our profession, like you're gambling your professional life, <laughs> whether, whether you put a card down or a chip down at the table or not, you, you're, you're gambling every single day. Cause there's so many outside factors in our job that have nothing to do with what we do or what we can do or what we can control that are really staking your livelihood, your personal livelihood every day. You know, sometimes you get the, uh, sometimes you'll, uh, you know, uh, Kira says, Kira's kind of test says, is you get kissed on the cock, and other days you get the shorter. Other, other days you gotta, uh, 
you got to take a sandpaper, uh, sandpaper, sexual utensil. You know, it just depends. <laughs> <laughs> it just depends. Sometimes you get you get more ways than one. It's just a flip of the coin. But how do you like you personally? You again, I I whether you're going to give yourself credit for that, I'll I, I admire how even keel you can be about it. How how do you do it for our listeners that are like, man, I, I need to be more even keel. You know, he's saying that this guy is. How do you do it, and what do you recommend to, to listeners to do that? be like a duck you calm on the top and paddle, paddle like crazy under the water that's that's uh that's something yeah. i probably pick from other people to be on to be honest you bring up being even keel and i'll tell you what i mean i might seem like that some days but i tell you what i'm paddling like hell underneath so i'm just trying to figure it out like everybody else um all right let's dive into the nitty-gritty of the rehab stuff and you know, let's start with one of the things that I, I personally know and you, you shared on your social media is you had hip surgery and you're, you know, you worked yourself with that and uh, talk about how that has made you a better practitioner. That personal experience uh, was interesting because I... <laughs> it was something I put off for a long time and it got to the point to where during we got to COVID and I couldn't even stand up during COVID groups. I would, you know, you're running seven, eight groups, you're coaching for 10 hours a day and it'll get to the point to where <clears throat> I got to coach my platforms and my racks and I'm taking a knee. I just, I just can't stand up because it's so bad. Oh, uh, but once I, but yeah, but yeah, anyway, uh, I was about 27 and I was probably about a year. If I went one more year, I was probably a year away from a hip replacement. That's how bad my hip got. Uh, and there was a lot of factors that went into it anyway. Uh, just from that sample itself, I think that one and others, I think the biggest piece was for me was a, a sympathetic tone to what I could bring to the table in my role, uh, being playing, playing at the same, same level as the kids I work with every day, and then majority of the kids I work with going through the same things they did, and also. I, th I think as a whole for me, it's the fact that like I didn't get what they did or what they're getting on a daily basis because I didn't have that uh, when I was coming up as a player. So it was mismanagement, gross incompetence, whatever, whatever you want to call it. It is what it is. Uh, but now knowing the lessons I've seen of how not to do it and trying to bank those lessons and those lessons and key markers into helping the kids and showing them, <clears throat> showing them and being able to, to have the sympathy because you know for example with an acl everybody talks about well you should be here 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 based on objectives or timeline criteria or whatever it is but if that kid walks in and he's got a boatload of patellofemoral pain because he he was a bone plug because he was a bone plug graph it don't matter what you have on paper that day he hurts like hell because he's been pushing he needs a he needs a he needs a three-day weekend and those days are going to happen it's having that that the sympathy as well as I, the sympathy I talked about as well as the empathy to understand that we're not going to lose tomorrow or the next day for just for today for the sake of it uh, and knowing it's a long-term process and thinking about again being committed to the welfare of the athlete in the long term as well as the short term too which is uh, something that I probably miss as, as an athlete and player too where now I'm coming up on surgery eight because i got to get my other hip done in the next year so oh shit yeah so between my playing career and post-playing career all together i think i've had uh, yeah i've had seven surgeries seven wow. surgeries since my since my since my senior year of high school all, all oh, from playing shit. so <clears throat> i think i think that's the biggest missing link or 
biggest kind of non X's and O's kind of textbook NSCA textbook answer hmm. kind of piece that I, w- I would I would bring to the table that I would I would list. What would you say most strength and conditioning coaches get wrong about rehabbing a hip or working around hip limitations? Again, we'll stay here on the hip and then we'll go to, you know, shoulder and different and knees, ankles, different areas. Cause again, you are, you have that title and I think you're very skilled at it. So what would be one of the you know biggest areas that people screw up at the hip? And then what are some of the best things that you do you've seen or you've learned? Uh, I mean, and this probably isn't like, again, some Rain Man Savant answer, but I, I, it's it's more than just simply loading, loading and reloading. And especially in a sport for us, where one of the few in the sport I work with, maximal strength is such a dominant factor more than other sports, even though one would argue where it actually lies. But anyway, <clears throat> so just loading the area around the hip and trying to gain strength and muscle masters. Everybody talk, talks about one, that, but as well too, everybody talks about, well, we're not going to load dysfunction or we're going to, you know, we're going to correct motor patterns or we're going to, we're going to get them moving well and we're going to retrain their gait. We're going to retrain how they move and how they all this have the other, but, and, <clears throat> but there, it's more than just, it's more than just tugging on bands and doing belly breathing and sucking on balloons and RDLs. And there's, there's more to it. There's, there's more to it. So even on my, my personal rehab, my personal rehab for myself, I started going through, I knew a little bit about it, but I didn't know enough. It was probably an area that I would say, I would say that I would need to learn is was when I had my hip, my, I had my hip surgeries when I started really getting a PRI. No, I didn't go. No, I didn't go full. I didn't go full PR. I didn't. I didn't, yeah, I didn't no. go. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't, I didn't go. I didn't go full sucking on the balloons and all that. But <laughs> I worked. With, I worked with some good physios. I worked with some good physios that helped me with my rehab. Uh, and that was really when I started getting into like David Gray and things like that. And you start thinking about again. Yeah, he's how, good. Though. He's good. Very good. And you start. Th- and you start thinking about the kinematic, kinetic chain and how. Like everything moves and like everything moves together and moves in unison. What what shouldn't move? What's stable? And the biggest thing was for me is how eye opening piece for me was how much of my rib cage was connected to my pelvis and how much for me personally, uh, being you know when you think and you start getting into like personality types and how that affects your body posture. Uh, you know when you, for example, when you get a very expressive extension based extension based person you get a flared rib cage anterior pelvic till you get kind of you get that open canister zach deck zach deck he does a really good job of teaching and it's his, his, a lot of his stuff through his social media now but uh, in terms of people are putting out so he talks a lot about that and you and a lot and you think about like what most sports are they're very much extension based and especially like football and then you think about personality types too they're very angsty high like high energy very hyper aggressive which is primarily football like football like combative sport athletes and like even for me i was uh, even now like i'm very expansive uh, expansive extension extension base so i think for me learning how my rib cage how my core how my pelvis and how my pelvis should work individually and how my ribs worked with it as a strength coach and not just the pt was extremely important for me and it wasn't just doing monster band walks and doing cook hip <laughs> lifts. It was there, there. There's more, and there's more to it. There's more to it. Just there's more to it than just just the basic stuff everybody talks about. 
dive into the, the rib cage stuff because then I guess we can work that into the shoulder because I know that's kind of some of the stuff that David does. How how deep down into his stuff or what were you kind of doing with rib cage stuff, PRI or his, or how similar are the two? I haven't, I haven't done. It, it was, it was, a, it was, a, it was a bit of a mix. Um, my, uh, my physiotherapist I worked with was very much of kind of a traditional, traditional PRI kind of practitioner. And I, I think the first or second day I was on the table with him that I, I wasn't like crying over the bone bone work that I had done on my hip. It was so bad. But once I was actually able to start to get a little bit of function, uh, I, I looked at, I looked at Mike. I was like, Mike, don't you ever have me sucking on a fucking balloon. I don't care what we do. I will never suck on a fucking balloon. Cause one of his patients had a, was doing some sort of belly. They were doing some 90, 90 position while they were working on breathing and they had a belly. Like they had a balloon and everything. I was like, Mike, I ain't fucking doing it. Anyway, <laughs> story over. Uh, so when I think about the, the rib cage itself and how it should externally internally rotate how should it should flex and extend and expand and how that bottom rib how that bottom rib should actually come back in it should actually come back in and help activate the core and pull everything together right <clears throat> and shorten and shorten everything to get us back into some form of flexion was a big piece for me uh kind of connecting the dots as well to the understanding like for example like just slamming like on the hip itself, just slamming into uh, adductor rocks or couch stretches or hip flexor stretches, and and you're you're stretching or lengthening lengthening in a position that's not supposed to be there. And the fact that in fact for me was that if I could just do, I remember one of the first drills I did with coming out of rehab was we we called it like a Captain Morgan stretch, and all I did was I just put my front foot up on like a six inch box. And all I did for like 10, 15 minutes was as I, every time I, I would inhale, I would inhale. And then basically I wanted my rib cage to expand. Right. And every time I would exhale, I would want to push my bottom rib or I'd want to again, flex and cause this rib cage to pull down and try to push everything out. And just the act of getting all of that to flex and activate without me actually pushing further into the stretch, how much I can actually feel my hip flexor lengthened just from the fact that my rib cage was moving correctly and my rib cage was expanding. And the fact that like my hip flexors were sore for like two days, just not the first time I ever did that stretch. Right. And it wasn't like a bad source. It's like, Holy crap. Like I can actually, I'm not just beating on them with hip flexors, just basic hip flexor exercises or so stretches or whatever it is. So, <clears throat> and then even now moving on to, for me, as we get into like the shoulder and stuff is now playing football is <laughs> having neck issues and stuff. As I can tell when my, my upper ribs kind of like my one, two, three, four, and five are, are off. And I can feel that when my shoulder blade gets tilted and gets, and I get, get an anterior tilt or I get <clears throat> a little bit of flaring through my right shoulder blade and I get neck pain or tension migraines and all this stuff. It's, it's uh, some of it's a little bit over my head still. So I don't want to pretend I don't, I know everything, but it's been an interesting journey over probably the last two years to start piecing all of it together on top of everything else. I, like I've, I've learned and do. How about going up the chain now? So rib cage up to the mm -hmm. shoulder. What's been some of the best and worst, you know, cause there's slap, there's the posterior anterior labor. Like what have been best, worst preventative, good things over the time that you've seen from all the different practitioners that you've been able to steal now in your new role? Uh, well, when looking at the shoulder for me, it's again, it's looking at good scapular rhythm. That's a big piece for me. Is how's that? How does that move? And how's that? How is that coming? Where are is it going? How are they getting with, it? 
You doing any stuff with uh, Cressy? Sorry to interrupt you, and then I'll shut the fuck up. No, you're no, you're okay. Uh, <clears throat> I've done. I've done a lot of his stuff. I've looked a lot. I've, I've read, I've read most of his books. I've read pretty much all of his website stuff. I've did this probably three, four years ago. I, I did the original sturdy shoulders course. It was really good. It was very, it was probably four or five years ago. Um, I, and I think I've redone it once or twice and I always refer back to it when I start getting a bunch of shoulders or I have a, a bunch of shoulder stuff where I need to kind of refresh when it's, it's been a while since I've done, done a shoulder. <clears throat> He's done some good stuff. And then I think, what I've learned for what I've started learning in the PRI world and David Gray and some of these other guys uh, in looking at not just the function of the shoulder and the individual sub pieces of the shoulder complex itself, but it's now tying in the rib cage and the area tying again, going back and tying in the rib cage and how it's supposed to move and how it should move and how it should flex and expand and internally rotate and externally rotate and all those different pieces and how that affects the scapula and how that affects position of the scalenes and the levator, the levator and how it affects the rotator cuff and how all that is going to affect how it's all it's going to tie back into the scap. And it's going to, again, in our sport where you look at, it's a very anterior extension based sport. So now they start looking at how it's going to affect everything in the front, whether it be AC sprains, anterior, anterior labrums, or even two years ago when I had a couple of pecs and one was, one was a training, one was a practice, one was a training kid got spun like a door and another kid had his, his pec tendon tore by Don Joy brace when he was making a tackle and the kid Don Joy just cut him right in the pit of his arm and yeah. sliced, his, sli and sl sliced his pec tendon like a filet mignon on his freak accident. Like it was, and I mean, and like that kid had an amazing rehab. Now he's, he's in the NFL's undrafted rookie starting this year. So like, again, he did a really good, really good job, but just even like stuff all the way to there, it's, it's, between what I've taken from David Gray, Eric Cressy, uh, Mike Ryan, Mike Reynolds, like I've taken a lot from Mike Reynolds. Uh, and then, you know, one of the other things is he's starting to get popular amongst the masses, but those who do do good work and kind of really, or kind of more in that world is uh, Ben Ashworth is somebody I've probably taken a lot from in the last two years. Uh, and actually I went out to Vegas and visited, uh, visit out at UFC and I went and did his uh, athletic shoulder course with him and met with him and had uh, got to have lunch with him and spend the day with him and spend some time and we've been able to talk since then and looking at just overall monitoring pro protocols on top of what the, my rehab principles have kind of grown and developed into as well um, and tying all the objective markers into that well too that go just beyond PROM, AROM uh, no, subjective stability measurements. It's okay. How are we actually, how are we actually monitoring long longitudinal performance, longitudinal readiness, just at the shoulder itself. So like, for example, uh, all of my shoulder guys that I've had this past year, uh, we go through either depending on the guy or time, we either go through weekly or biweekly ash test. Right. So before our first big padded, our, our first big combative padded practices or contact based practices, all of my shoulder guy, all my shoulder, guy, all my shoulder guys I've worked with go through ash testing as a readiness model. Same way I would look at RSI mod on a RSI mod on a counter movement jump or whatever metrics you're looking at. Or if I'm looking at internal load through HRV or Omega wave or subjective readiness scores or whatever, so on and so forth is trying to tie all that in together and even looking at different regions as the groin, um, the groin, the adductor, looking at adduction, adduction, abduction, adduction at the hip and looking at 
hamstrings, all these different pieces is nobody's talking about the shoulder itself the way Ben started to the last two years. And I've been thankful that I've been able to connect and learn from them because it's been a big help. What are some of the tools that you like to use <clears throat> to measure, you know, any of the objective stuff while you're looking at subjective work? So I think for me, uh, I've been lucky now uh, to have to be in some places where I've been able to gain some tech and have some other different units, uh, whatever it is. But, you know, I've jump mats, force plates, uh, my, my favorites, my favorites are for, uh, force plates, force platforms, uh, balls, force frame solid. I'm a huge fan of Kanga Tech over the last two years since I've been working with Kanga Tech. I've heard good uh, things about them. Great things, great things. And the, and the amount of versatility and durability you have in their system uh, and just the, the amount of things you can pull into that system and pull out of that system, it's it, – uh, it, and the cohesive aspect, I mean, you look at trying to tie departments together so everybody's on the same page, especially with a rehab rehab setting. So it's easy for me and the physiotherapist and the ATC or like the head strength coach or whoever it is to know like what I have planned, what I have planned on my end for, for Johnny, what what his benchmarks on, whatever, a full can, half can, external rotation, internal internal rotation of the shoulder, how much time or tension do we do? How much force did he produce at X load? How is he what is what are his moder what are his, his monitoring progressions, right? Is he holding strength? Is he is he retaining RFD? Is he is he regressing? Is he progressing? All these different pieces and you can tie all that in together and then They've they've done it and it was built and a building set up by real real world people and coaches and practitioners that are in our setting, so they get the functionality and how versatile and how quickly transferable it has to be within a singular session. Uh, but to be on those two, have also been a big fan of like G strength and the versatility. Like Sergio and G strength, they've done that's done good work. They've done good work. Uh, you know, obviously GPS is there. Uh, those are like my big pieces I've consistently used that I'm consistently a big fan of. So clearly people know that you know what the fuck you're talking about. With We're not going to go through the whole body fuck. If anybody wants to hit him up, you can reach out to him later. Um, talk about how you're able to, in your role then, how the fuck do you get strength coach, ATs, docs, sport, like in the role that you're in, how do you do it? And what do you recommend everybody listening right now? Um, honestly, it's, 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 it's time. It's, uh, it's, uh, that's probably the biggest thing I, I can say is, is you hope and pray and you hold on to the roller coaster handles. You're in the right place, right time with good people. That's a bit, that's a, that's a big piece. And I don't say that negatively, but you oh. know, there are, there, and there are, there are places where that's an issue where, you know, preconceived notions and preconceived mindsets and predetermined mindsets of how people are view things and see things don't help. But I think that's could be the first bridge, first bridge you you, you need to cross in this area. It's like, is there, a, is there an alignment, at least philosophically, or alignment in the fact that you're with good people that are open-minded? They may not have to have the answers or the same thoughts, but they're open-minded at minimal with good intentions to other thoughts, right? Uh, and nobody's consistently trying to be condescending or talking down because, you know, I can't ever replace an orthopedic surgeon. I can't, I'm never going to pretend to be a physiotherapist and put a kid on a table and do what they do. Same way that where I've been other places where I grant, where I work with physiotherapists and physiotherapists or PTs or ATCs, and they try to hold on to kids to too long. And then I'm having them watch 
a kid who's five months into an ACL and I haven't seen him yet outside of doing upper body, but they're bringing him in and he's doing snatches and he's jerking and he's doing high range trap bar, high handle trap bar deadlifts. I'm like, well, they need to be able to do this before I give them to you. Um, okay. But there's, there's, there's a cohesion, but there's also a separation. There's also a separation of ability, right? There's like, it's like I was alluding to, is there certain things I can't do? I can't ever pretend to do them, and I need to respect and learn from their areas and how it can affect mine. Uh, I think that's the biggest piece. And then the second, second biggest piece for me too is, is as much of a people person, I tend not to be. It's, it's good to, it's good to spend time talking and communicating and learning and even if it's just voicing concerns or issues or ideas or bouncing ideas even if you know they may not have one you like but at least giving every everybody a voice at the table in every situation so there's again some form of alignment i think those are the two biggest pieces and then three i think the other i think the other piece is is for me, it's being open to criticism in these other areas or open to ideas and letting the other departments be voices and opinions be heard in your area too and let them feel validated because nine times out of 10, if you're in my role, unless you're a certified ATC, certified physiotherapist, or you have some form of an actual state board or federal medical certification, you're not, you're more than likely not going to be the end stage, end stage thumbs up the green light a kid back into whatever they're going to. So <clears throat> you need to be really good at communicating what should happen, what needs to happen, what is happening within your realm, and then consolidate, consolidating and collating all the others, consolidating all your stuff into manageable bite-sized pieces for the other departments and not and not make them feel like they don't know what the hell they're talking about like what the hell they're talking about or hearing and not making them feel stupid but as well as collating all their information and understand what they're talking about too so being able to at least minimum loosely understand general time healing timelines general terminology on their end uh what is grasped in what is uh what is how are how are strains and sprains and ligament bone and tendon injuries graded so and even now so even now today for me it's i can go in and talk to our docs here or our atc or physiotherapist and if, if johnny shortfoot gets an mri within by the end of the day if they haven't come and told me already i can go sit in their office and we'll sit there and we'll read through an mri report together and we'll, and we can flip through and scroll through and look through all that and now it's learning and now you're learning the other side of it. And now there's a mutual level of understanding. And then and now, again, part of that goes back, ties into the time piece of you're validating what they do because you're making a time. You're making your time important to learn what they do. And now they feel validated. So again, there's that buy, there's that buy in effect of what you want to do. So now for me, when, again, we talk about me being the neighborhood asshole was now when we're sitting at a medical meeting, which I have one in two hours, is when we meet and we set up our plans for any extended rehab or even short-term rehab kids, our head AT and head physiotherapist will have no problem with me holding another, holding a, an assistant athletic attorney accountable when the eight of us have met and we've all communicated uh, an alter G or off ground or off land running progression to get Johnny ready for his on ground progression of how that ties into his isometric training, his isometric testing, his range, his girth and range of motion, all these different pieces, how that's all tied together. And then when 
Timmy doesn't get him in the pool enough or Timmy doesn't do what he's supposed to do or goes off script. Well, you better have a reason for it or you better know what's going on. So when I hold Timmy accountable that, Hey, why didn't Spencer get in the pool this week? They're not going to check me saying, Hey, you're out of scope. No, they know that I have a vested interest in their side as well. They have a vested interest in my side. Now I have to go about it the right way. And there's a certain point where you get to that point, but same way if I'm doing something wrong or I'm, screwed up i know that they're going to come and tell me so that's a it's a level level-headed playing field speaking of relationships and level-headed playing field one thing that anybody that follows you on social media is it seems like you have a great relationship with your athletes and you know you you post often of the guys you currently work with and how proud you are and then even guys that you've used to work with Talk about that. Talk about the relationships that you have with the guys and that you've built and how you go about doing that for any of our listeners that might be struggling with their ability to connect. Um, you know, in my, in, my, in my setting with most of the guys I work with, I would say nine, nine and a half times out of ten, I'm probably going to be closest with my rehab guys than damn near anybody in the building I work with because I'm going to probably spend more time with them than I spend with the other other strength coaches, medical staff, position coaches, other guys on the team, depending on how much I'm doing with the team. Uh, so again, that time piece helps. And within that time piece, there's also uh, a lot of times where I'm training guys one-on-one or we're having small sessions. And I know I don't like doing that all the time, but it happens because when you make a point to move their schedule around to accommodate to them and show that what they have going on is important, whether it be they need a day off because they're sore or, you know, they're in the 6 a.m. lift group and they didn't sleep the night before. And you like, and you show that, Hey, if you communicate with me ahead of time, you tell me I'll work with you get like sleep in, I'll see you for the three o'clock group. And you just give them those small wins and you show that you care. That's a big piece. And then the other piece is too, is not, not showing you care, but just by being soft and caving in, but also holding them accountable because it's not every day is going to be a walk in the park. And no, I'm not best friends with every guy I've ever rehabbed. That's okay. Right. But there's a mutual respect that they know I'm going to try the best. I'm going to do my best uh, to get them back where they need to be. And then the other piece is too, is not to come off as like a desk garter, but nine times out of 10, my rehab guys all know how much time I put into their, each of their individual rehabs and how much I invest into making sure they're ready. Or even if, even if it's at a point when they see me get confrontational with somebody, it's not putting them in, it's not putting them in a situation that's for their best interest. And I stick up for them. Uh, because again, it's not only about short-term outcomes. It's also about long-term outcomes. I think that's the, those are probably the big rocks of how that happens. Uh, and, you know, and there's a lot of guys I've rehabbed because of that, that where I've been, all the places I've been, where those guys, have they've finished where I've left and they've turned into friends, uh, especially like, I mean, I'm not that old. So even especially earlier in my career, not that, not that long ago, but some of these guys were almost my age. So I think that was the biggest, that's been the biggest piece of it. And, uh, and I think seeing a little bit of a track record too, it's, and then I think it's uh, kid, the kids are smarter on, on average college athletes. And I would say athletes as a whole are smarter than a lot of people give them credit for, especially in areas that they're not well-versed in. I think most coaches, most kids given the situation can figure out what makes a good coach, who's a good coach, why are they a good coach, a competent coach from different areas. And I think once you're able to display that and show the good intentions, I, I think that makes a big difference. And I, I think for me, those, those are, those are a lot of the main boxes I always try to check. So, and, you know, I always try to take an interest in lastly, I think even 
when I finish rehabs with guys and they get back to the main group or they take off to go on and do other things or if God forbid, or whatever happens with me professionally, um, there's still always a vested interest. I'm always still trying to watch more than I'm watching schools. I really don't care for and don't have anything to do with, but end of the day, it's for the kids. Um, you're in a servant, you're in a servant position as, as a job and as a title, whatever it is. So again, making the time to watch, watch them play, watch their games, check in on them, text them, you know, holidays. I mean, I had, we were playing Colorado, uh, shoot, maybe a month ago. And a kid I rehabbed four years ago, FaceTime me in the middle of like the second quarter. And luckily I was doing GPS. I saw it and I saw his name and FaceTime come up while it was sitting next to my laptop charging. Cause I was somehow I was on with, on with catapult support while I was running a live, live session for the game. And I saw it and I had to call him out for the game. And I hadn't talked to, I hadn't talked to Hunter in like three years uh, since he, and he had quit football after he was like, he had, a, he had another knee surgery on his other knee and he ended up quitting. He was a walk on. Uh, I think he ended, up going, he ended up going to culinary school, but he called me and it was in, and it's just a, it's like, it's like a long lost friend. I pick up the phone and <clears throat> pick up the phone. It's like, we have, it's like, we talked yesterday. Um, I mean, I mean, I used, he used to watch like, this kid specific kid used to watch my dogs when we had away games. They used to pay him to watch my dog. So, you know, you end up getting relationships like like that. And most of the time, it's just putting time in the kids and showing that you do good work and you try to do good work. I don't think there's a better place to end it right here. Um, so I want to respect your time and I want to thank you because, like you said, you got a meeting in two hours. People, he, you heard his voice. He's, he's losing it. We only keep coaches that are in the game um, on the show. So if anybody wants to follow you to learn about what you're doing, go ahead. and You can plug your social right now. Um, and then after that, man, I just want to say thank you for coming on. Yeah, uh, I'm on most social medias. I really only have them because of work. Uh, I think it's just coach underscore Zach 32. It's nothing complicated. Uh, I try not to be a troll. I try not to do anything crazy. But uh, every once in a while, I, I, every once in a while, I put out something. I try to put out something worthwhile. It's not always right, but I try. Nah, man, we'll leave. Uh... He, again, for so he's going to say that, but he'll also put out some really good quality stuff on his stories. Um, you know, any of his return to play athletes or other athletes, you know, he'll show some waterfall videos or some, you know, good uh, kinogram. So he's being very humble about it. Um, Zach, really appreciate you coming on because as everybody heard here, multiple stops, multiple P5 stops, been continuing his, his career the, the, the right way. So any young strength coach, make sure you, you reach out and follow my man. Um, hit that subscribe button, right? Continue to support us so we can support you and everybody else have a good rest of the day. Thank you for joining.